Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Huddersfield Town Social. My name is Greg Mara, and I'm pleased to, to host this podcast for a win, battling 1 0 win over Queen's Park Rangers. Joining me as ever is Cameron Pope, who has just informed me that he wants to do the 43 unbeaten before he no doubt decides to jump ship. <laughs> Gas K joins me as well alongside the return for Mr. Tristan Batley Kyle. Um, I will say this, I, I, I was more enthralled with the Six Nations yesterday, so I, I, I've done a watch it a bit later on, but I'm sure some of you watched it live. Um, as I said, dogged 1-0 win. Town's first 0 win, according to Mr Chicken, for, oh God, how many months is that now? Four, five? Um, well, all of the teams have managed it. We've been leaking goals. Well, we've been leaking goals. Um Junior Bakuna's how it's uh, the difference between the two teams and and three points that should asterisks next to it should see town safe. Um, what do we make of that? Well, I came out very, very early on in the season, about the midway uh, point through, saying that, OK, we've done enough now um, to avoid relegation. That was December, and that was a hill I'm willing to die on. So I'm very glad to see that we've taken these massive um, three points. And I spent my afternoon uh, commentating on Rugby League, so I too watched it later. But at one point, I used to remark that you'd see more forward passes from the Giants than you would from Huddersfield Town's midfield on any given Saturday. So it was quite nice to see such a positive performance when I watched the game back uh, in the evening. And there is no question that that is is an enormous win and especially as well given the context uh, of the Birmingham result and okay there remains much football to be played but now the crucial thing is our destiny is in our own hands and okay you look at the league table from last season Barnsley survived on 49 points of course the fact that there were points deductions in both seasons skews those figures a little bit but by my count about 45 points should be enough, really. So four points, technically, from what we've got now. And that will particularly be enough if we get them against Wednesday this week, against Coventry, against Rotherham. The fact that we're playing teams below us is uh, is huge, and Rotherham have got games coming out of their ears. This is the biggest win, I think, of the season, given the timing of it, uh, and and and, and the, the value that you can put on those three points. And it was encouraging, too. Again, 3-5-2 did the job, only served to further my belief that that's our most effective shape. Um, encouraging, starting from the back to see a solid performance from Ryan Schofield, fantastic stop in the first half. Um, it's a pleasure to see Lewis O'Brien as well, finding his feet in the centre of the park now. We've seen that he's been more of himself when he's been playing out wide, so I enjoyed seeing what he can do in the centre of the park. Um, Janino Bakuna, well, that's just him in a nutshell, really, isn't it? Largely absent for huge swathes of the action, and then he springs back to life uh, just when his critics are coming out uh, on the HGSC hashtag and, uh, and when you most need him. And let's be under no illusions, okay? We were helped by the fact that QPR offered very little. A dogged is, is the right word, I think, really. Um, that's going to become increasingly more commonplace now that the pocket of teams in, in mid-table realise that they're very little to play for other than pride and, and you know, that positional bonus. So the main disappointment, because, you know, we can't be 100% positive after that, can we? It was only a 1-0 win, even if it was our first one since the 3rd century BC. But I think Aaron Rowe, okay, um, it's a run of classic performances from him and it's a shame after such um, a run of good showings that he didn't really get into the game. He fell short yesterday. I wasn't surprised to see he was taken off. But, and crucially again, and another reason why these three points are massive is the fact that he's young and learning and now, hopefully... If we can add to this with a win in midweek against an out-of-sorts Wednesday, the pressure is all but off and he can continue to develop unbowed because there's definitely uh, an upward trajectory with him, as with Ryan Schofield. So three points couldn't have come at a more important time now. And this time next week, hopefully, hopefully, we'll have Huddersfield Town start on 44 points and as good as safe uh, for another season. 
it, it's it's strange how that result or that performance felt so positive because if you look at the stats, it was anything but. It was a proper strong away performance for me. We had thirty three percent possession. That must be the lowest ever Carlos has had in a in a competitive fixture, I would think. Um, but we were effective, a word that I've used a lot around other teams that have played against us about how effective they've been. We had 13 shots and seven corners. I mean, 13 shots more than we had in probably before we shifted formation in the previous 10 games. So, you know, I was I was really pleased. I thought we, we did everything right in the game. And with you, Cam, I thought QPR looked like they were already playing in the flip-flops. The players are already on the proverbial beach, I think, aren't they? So there was an element of that. But I think the reason we won yesterday can be summed up in two words, and that's Jonathan Hogg. I thought he made all the difference yesterday. We are a completely different team. And, and, and I think early in the season, there were a few people, including me, I have to say, wondering if John Jonathan Hogg's best days were behind him and he was a spent force and wouldn't fit into the way Carlos wanted to play. But he was everything that you want to see from a town player yesterday. He was determined, driving his teammates on, you know, there was a couple of occasions where people made a mistake and he didn't accept the mistake. You know, they got a round off him and that was great to see. But I thought the whole team played well. I thought Sar and Keogh concentrated on defending and stopped trying to be footballers. You know, they did what they had to do and I thought that was great. <clears throat> and with you, I thought it was Rose's quietest game since he's been starting. But Lewis O'Brien, absolutely. He must have run miles yesterday, Lewis O'Brien. Miles. And, and yeah, I mean, Bakuna, what can you say about that block? I'd have subbed him at half-time. So I think I'll stick to being a Twitter expert and leave the real football to, to Carlos because he clearly knows what he's doing. But he also made some good subs, I thought. I thought the subs that he brought on were effective. They also helped bolster the game. Um, yeah, it, it was a good performance all round and leaves us in a, a really strong position. We got five out of nine, Greg, not the seven out of nine I wanted. So we weren't a million miles away. And if we win on, on Wednesday, and I know it's a big if and I don't want to count my chickens, that would put a 16 points above Sheffield Wednesday and depend on Wickham's result midweek, anywhere between 15 and 18 points above Wickham. So surely that would mean we're playing to avoid last place. So I think win Wednesday, I don't attempt fate, but I think if we win Wednesday, it's as good as over. Yeah, I don't disagree with either of you there. I thought it was quite a, a compact and, and quite an effective performance. Um and and which is quite surprising probably for for Carlos is is usually about the kind of you know the style and everything like that and and as we've alluded to you know it was it was Cowley esque I said to Gaz before and I think the difference with the Cowleys uh, I don't quite think we have the same cuteness almost in uh, in managing the game still but I think I thought yesterday something that I did notice. Um, we, we obviously started quite brightly, probably first 10 or 15 minutes. Um, I thought we looked we look really good. But um, we, we we seemed to drop into a kind of a 5-1-4 formation, almost with no sort of strikers, um, with with Mbenza and um, Campbell dropping almost into to fill the wing positions, which I thought made us, particularly somewhere like Loftus Road that's, you know, that's quite sort of narrow and, and, and compact ground. It made us look really compact. Um, and, I, and I think, at, you know, at times when we needed to go along, we went long. Sometimes because we'd gone into that formation, I thought um, perhaps we, we gave the ball away a little bit too much. Um, but I did think that that kind of set up the um, the grounding for, for a, a, a really quality sort of away win. And, and that's kind of the... That's how you really want to win away from home, isn't it? You know, um, 
seeing us sort of grind out a performance and, and nick a goal and kind of defend well. Um, just echoing your thoughts, Gaz, I thought Sa was fantastic. Um, I thought he was commanding. I thought he put his head in, you know, quite a lot where um, where perhaps in previous weeks we've, we've not had that and, he, you know, he, he won the ball in the air a lot. Um, I think Edmunds Green, bizarrely, although I thought he was relatively quiet and, and sometimes when he gets isolated kind of in a full-back position, he's, he's maybe a tad suspect. But I feel like he adds a bit of mobility to the back line that is really quite important for the back line. Um, Saar and, and, and Keogh obviously, uh, you know, probably don't don't have that kind of pace, but I think I think Edmunds Green seems to add something to the back line. Um, and Schofield obviously made some great saves. And I actually thought, because he has got a load of pelters recently, there was a point in the first half where a ball came in from the wing from QPR quite low and he dived out and, and caught the ball. And I thought, you know, that that seems to me like he's, he's at least trying to... Uh, to kind of listen to the sort of the the doubters and and you know and, and work on his game a little bit more because that's definitely the side of the game that that he struggles with and and again I just I just say again you know frustratingly I like Bakuna but frustratingly you know that did absolutely sum him up um, you know from the sublime to the ridiculous at times he. He, he, he sort of flits in and out of games and kind of cruises through games and, and, and then pops up just when you need him. So I thought, yeah, great great away performance and, and something that we can build on hopefully for the rest of the season. just want to make reference to a couple of individual performances. And, um, I don't particularly like scapegoating people like some town fans do. They've always got to have... Uh, uh, a certain player that they despise. I think uh, Paul Ryan Schofield's been on, on the kind of the tough end of that recently, but he's one of the players I want to pick out. Ryan Schofield made um, a fantastic save, well, double save actually in that in that first half that kind of kept sound of the game and helped assist towards her three points um, from Todd Kane. Gaz has already mentioned Jonathan Organ. I think Danny Danny Cowley and on uh, was it Quest TV that, that football leagues on nowadays summed it up perfectly. I think we haven't won a game this season without Jonathan Ogg in the team. That, that's someone else that I, I want to pick out, and, and those two for different reasons have got pelters this season, and those two have played well yesterday, a massive part in that victory. And you know, it's kind of one slowly seeing why Schofield's in the team. It was, it was a real, and I'm not sure if any of you guys saw it, Cam probably would have done, because he's a little bit of a geek with this, but the uh, kind of stats section with each and every single goalkeeper in the championship and what they're good at and not very good at, and what Ryan Schofield's very good at is shot-stopping, which everyone says, well, that's what keepers are supposed to do, but he's very much above average. He's in the top four or five in the league for it, compared to, uh, you know, saves that should have been an XG. So that's a massive key moment confidence boost for him but you know, Gaz has already said it Jonathan Ogg his tenaciousness his leadership which is something you cannot underestimate he gives us he gives us the vibrancy to perform and you know his ability and I'm nicking a line from Mr Kilroy so um, before he 
no doubt interferes with this podcast in some way, starts whinging and stealing stuff from him. But he's, the ability in the role that he played yesterday, dropping into the, the back three, certainly well, it helps us win those three points. So I don't know about you two, but if you're looking at individual performances, you can't look past the two I've just mentioned, can you? Not, not on the day, but I think the Hoggy didn't play in the previous two games and I think the team he came into had built themselves a solid base. What we mustn't forget in the last three games is we've only conceded one goal, which is just, that's not, that's not Carlos Corberan ball, is it? Conceding one goal in three games. I just thought Hoggy made the difference. He added that extra dimension of not just keeping the opposition out, but giving us a bit of drive. And, I, and when I say drive, I don't mean he picked out a 40-yard Hollywood ball to somebody on the wing. I mean, just his energy and the way he went about his business. The example he sets for some of those other people in the team. You know, I mean, you forget Bakuna. He's, Bakuna's 23, he's still a youngish guy. But, you know, what, a, what an example to be playing alongside in terms of work rate and commitment and, and attitude. You can't do better than Jonathan Ogg, I don't think. Certainly not at this level. I, th- I personally like to add to that. I think, I think, yeah, okay, Jonathan Hogg was was again exemplary in coming back into the side, and you can see what he brings. And okay, in the last couple of years, there's been times, especially when we were in the Premier League, say where he was criticised for slowing the game down, etc., and doesn't do enough between the lines, isn't always positive enough with his play. I, I think he's a welcome addition to to the side, and I think he's he's. You can see the effect that he has on his on his return, and I think as well just the psychological effect he has on those around him. He's such a great uh, mentor. He's a physical presence, and you need that. You need that. Uh, um, you need you need that loud focal point in, in a side, especially one that's not blessed with experience like ours. But yeah, I don't want to do disservice to the rest of the squad. And, and whilst I, a lot of people were eulogising him in the post match and crediting him almost single handedly with uh, with Town's resurgence, I think that does a little disservice to the players who've been involved in the last few weeks. I think that we, this has been the culmination of steadily stronger performances. I might I don't think I'm uh, I, I don't think I'm too risque in saying there. I think that it's been slowly developing as we've looked a bit more assured of ourselves and Hog coming back certainly added to it. Um, but no, I think we've gradually towed our way to looking a little bit more resolute. And and yeah, our goal conceded record in the last few games certainly goes somewhere showing that. Just to add on that, I think I think probably for me the thing that Hog does is allow everybody else to do their jobs. Um, and I and I think the 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 key one for me and you know at the start of the season we kind of thought who's this Lewis O'Brien kid that you know he is is he didn't churn out the performances that he did last season but slowly we've we've started to see Lewis as well and I think the one thing for me with with O'Brien is he he needs to carry the ball you know passing the ball isn't really his forte but driving with the ball is completely and utterly you know, his quality and, and, and where his kind of best skills lie. And I think it was I think it was actually Lewis O'Brien that carried carried the ball up from, from a pass from Saar that, that put Pipper in for, for Bakuna's goal yesterday. So, you know, I think I think the, the key bit there is Hogg allows that to go on around him, you know, as 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 it's been alluded to, he drops into that back four that allows the wingers uh, the full backs to bomb on. He he allows Kind of Bakuna and, and um, O'Brien a bit of license as well. So yeah, I think I think we I think we underappreciate Hogg at times, um, and and maybe his um, his footballing abilities don't always shine through, but his his presence on the pitch really does. 
has to hear some positivity. Wonderful, isn't it? We've all touched on it. it uh, uh, how, how town have gone? Is it fair to say back to basics? But um, it's it's also nice to see that Carlos Calabran has understood that this. But I don't. Can you say he's got a plan B? I think this is the question I'm trying to ask because I, we've seen an evolution in the tactics he's used. As Gaz said earlier, you, we've almost gone back to playing Cowley ball, um, which you know what fans are suddenly happy with because you know we're winning more games one nil. But um, the evolution within this team is is quite stark from where we were a few weeks ago to where we are now. This, a more solid solidity about the team that's carrying players that a month ago were looking as fragile as as well. And my Hermes, a delivery man who's just chucked a, play, a box of balls into your back garden uh, without any anyone not knowing until your next door neighbour bangs on your door and said, oh, I've just found this in my green bin. Um, but is it that he's got a plan B or is it more that he's finally adjusted to the fact that this squad has not got the ability that he needs to play style of football. Well, I, I think I'm going to say the latter more than anything um, because, okay, three five two, it's no mystery. We've been playing that on and off throughout the whole campaign since he came in. Um, and so, yeah, I think that it's been managing expectations really and realising that, okay, this is the way he wants to play it and that, yeah, it may be a fantastic way of playing in the championship, but you can only use the ingredients you've got um, on the table in front of you. And uh, I think perhaps it's just now taking stock and realising, okay, um, redressing the expectations in that we're not we're not going to push on as we might have hoped to, that we might have done at one point in the season. And really it's, it's, it's limiting the damage. And, and now that we've understood certainly in uh, on the bench that okay we don't have the depth and able to to to, to challenge in this league then yeah I, I certainly think now that um i certainly think now that the the, the outlook on games has changed and, and now that we're not punching or trying to punch so high as we were um we, we, we've now settled for i don't want to say settle for less actually because no i, I think what we were we think we were overstretching ourselves and now we're looking to play at our level um, and that is why I think we're seeing more confident performances players aren't being asked too much of themselves um, and I, the only shame is that it took so long to do this as well um, we've been saying it for a very long time um, but we knew that the squad on paper was nowhere near as good as those um, at the top end of the championship and especially um, after January as well um, and so and so, yeah I'm glad that it came back now though and not in a few weeks time we've actually got time now where we might have a bit of a breather towards the end of the season but but yeah in terms of adaptability I don't want to take the gloss off, off what Carlos has done completely because I think that yeah okay he's, he's, he's certainly not been afraid to experiment this season has he we've seen a few different shapes etc four at the back and, and and three at the back as well um, and he's not afraid to tailor that to the opposition um, but what I'd like to see now is more of the fact that we're sticking to what we can do and not trying to play into opposition's hands anymore uh, as much more and if we can refine the way that we play and I hope that that's 3-5-2 then that's got to be a, a good way forward Normally if you're talking about a plan B you're talking about the ability to change a team or a shape during a during a match. So if, if you're playing one way and it's not working, then then you play another way and that might get a result. I think that's what fans were referring to as a plan B. Uh, and with you, Cam, I think I said I don't know if I said last week. I think about I just think Carlos realised we were in a relegation battle, and I think he was banging his head on a wall around wanting to play. How he wanted to play. He's got a very, he has got a clear idea. I think um, the problem we've got is the quality of the players in areas. You know, when, when they're as unpredictable as they are at championship level, one week they can look like world beaters and the next week they can look like Sunday leaguers. And, and he was struggling to, to deal with that. 
Um, you know, he doesn't have the experience to to perhaps coach some of the outer people. So I, mean, I think we'll probably see him playing the way we are, this conservative style until we're safe. And then I think we might see a slip back. I think he might drop a few of the young lads in and give people like Scott High full matches. Um, you know, I think that that's probably, you know, maybe even Kieran Phillips get a full game, that kind of thing, uh, once we're safe. So uh, is it a plan B? Not really. I think it's just a, I think it's just a shift. Uh, in thought process by Carlos, he's realised he can't do what he wants to do with the players he's got. I guess at some point we'll get around to talking about next season, and I guess next season will be a, a bit, it'll be a big deciding factor. You know, will the players that are here still be here? Will we have new players that are here? And if they are new players, are they going to be the players that can play the car, the way Carlos wants? Otherwise, we're going to find ourselves in March next year applauding one nil defensive wins again, aren't we? Yeah, I think in terms of a, a you know a plan B, I'm, I'm probably with you as well, guys. That you know, um, I think we did try to to play three at the back before Christmas. I think it was maybe Blackburn at home um, before Christmas and a, a couple of other games where he seemed to have moved to a, a three at the back and he seemed to want to do that. And and then all of a sudden we we got an influx of injuries, which I don't want to put too much kind of onus on that, but I certainly think that. It um, impacted on um, kind of he didn't have the tools to to play maybe the the way that he wanted to at all times, and and I think um, I think a, a second part to that is we we certainly and I, and I think I mentioned this previously when when I when I was last on the the pod that we we started off the season and we were all raving about kind of this intensity and this tempo and filling the box and and all that kind of thing and we've certainly not seen that and I, and I just wonder whether that is you know a culmination of kind of how he wants us to play how he wants us to train how you know how the the schedule kind of has come at us a little bit and and maybe not the the depth in the squad as we we sort of alluded to you know the the quality and, and depth in the squad that that he wants, um, and I think I think in all honesty that that then goes back into the first bit. Three at the back allows for you know allows for almost a, an anchor to sit behind someone like Sarah and, and Edmonds Green that allows them to to run out with the ball and play out with the ball um, with a bit of a stop gap and a safety behind them um, where we were getting caught earlier in the season with. Two centre halves splitting, one of them gives it away, and and the you know the opposition are, are straight in there. So I think I think in to, to a certain extent he has got a plan B. I think possibly he's been hampered a little bit by um, what he's got at his disposal. Why is a footballing head would also know that uh, Jonathan Hogg allowed. Uh, yesterday especially dropping back into that back three allowed all three of the centre-backs to have a, a lot of options when they did get a ball um, I'm not going to say who this uh, tactical genius is because he, he, he's got an ego and he lives down under but um, that's what he's, he sent in my uh, my chat to say on this podcast uh, I'll leave that for him to say when he can be asked to help properly next week um, anyway I'll leave it there because I I think when you've won a game like that, I think it's best not to pick it apart because I think it's important as fans that we we can enjoy a win. It was a very good win as well, uh, which 
leaves us nicely placed in the league table. Um, quite a fair bit clear of our opponents midweek, as we've mentioned already. Sheffield Wednesday, who sit 13 points behind us in 2030, even though they have two games in hand. Um, the final relegation place occupied by uh, the COVID hit. hit. Rotherham United, who um, have four games in hand now over town, but obviously um, their schedule is going to be pretty intense to the end of the season. It'll be pretty difficult for them to actually finish the season after the, the, the breakout of COVID. They're there, 22nd, and we're nine points ahead of them. Um, Birmingham, Coventry, Derby, all sitting below us. And we're now level with Nottingham Forest, just goal difference keeping us at Heart. Um, my next question to, to you all is: um, uh, Did you hear the podcast this week? Um, D- Dean Hoyle spoke um, candidly. I think is might be the best way of, of saying it. But he, he came out and said more in an hour than the club with their monthly communications did. Um, probably after all season, it was interesting. A lot of the questions that people would want to ask haven't been answered, but there were certainly a few interesting points that I took from that, especially, I'd say, in and around our time in the Premier League and kind of the fallout from the departure of Stuart Webber. What did you make of it? Well, I think my the first... Having listened to it and then I was to it yesterday afternoon and, and having had a chance to think about it, I feel a little a little sad really. I think I'm what's the saying? Don't be sad, don't be sad because it's over, be pleased it happened or something. And I and I think that's a bit how I feel about it. You know, it's clear the second season broke <clears throat> broke Dean <clears throat> and almost broke the club. Um you know, it's easy to say now, but perhaps getting relegated and that that fabulous night at Chelsea. If that never happened, we might be looking at a very, very different scenario now. Um, but we are where we are. Um, in true Dean style, he was really honest about the things he wanted to be honest about. He did dance around a few other things, which I guess I'll we'll pick on at some point. But yeah, I, you know, I, it was sad to listen to him talk about the club almost as though he'd fallen out of love with it. You know, he he was and will be, along with David Wagner, an integral part of probably the best period I'll ever have supporting Rusfield Town. So, you know, for him to talk in that way was was a little sad. But, you know, he, he clearly is a, a man that, that's got changed priorities in life. I think when you've been as ill as he has, that's probably understandable. Um, and we will, we'll get onto the money bit in a little bit if you want. But, you know, I think he uh, he was very honest. I think the bit the bit that I want to talk about, first of all, really, was the, the sale of the club and, and the choices he had. He took the choice to sell to Phil. You know, he pursued Phil clearly. So Phil didn't approach him; he approached Phil, and he turned down two foreign buyers who offered him all his money back straight away. But he was worried about the future of the club. Um, but he danced around Phil's ability to invest. Um, he talked about social media abuse aimed at Phil, which, as we've said on here, some of it is ridiculous. Um, but that does feel like an easy cop out. You know, saying that everything on social media is is unreasonable because some of the stuff that goes on social media and the questions that are asked of the club, I think are perfectly reasonable and perfectly logical, but never seem to get answered. Um, you know, I, and, you know, he did say the foreign investors would, would have planned to have had a go for a couple of years. So who knows where that would have led us. Um, but yeah, you know, I think 
a guy that's followed towns in the in the late seventies, you know, lived his dream and owned his boy old club. Now talking about not really being interested in football and and not bothered about going to games. I, I thought that was pretty sad, really. Well, I feel for Dean too on that note um, because no matter what you think has has gone down the last. 24 months um, and no matter your opinion um, we can't deny that none of this would have happened without him and I think that does afford him some respect and whilst the KA of course was great consternation about the financial state of the club at the moment and we can all wonder what might have been had he sold to um, to someone who you might speculate had more more spending power um, but it is a sad state of affairs now that the man is, is talking that he he's reluctant to perhaps come back. Um, I've noticed that he's always been at the games now behind closed doors. Every time I've been down there, he's always been sat there, a couple of rows in front of them, uh, in front of Phil. Um, and so, you know, I'm guessing that if that is true, it's going to be a reaction to obviously the fans, the fans being there. And I, I for one, I don't know. I, I feel like I have higher 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 estimation of, of of Huddersfield Town fans. Really, I know that we can be a moany bunch, but. I, I don't really expect that four sides of the ground will turn on Dean Hoyle that way. Maybe that's too optimistic. Of course, there'll be people who turn, and there's people who turn on Janino Bakuna every week, for example. Um, but there's been far less popular figures. There's been far less. There's been far less popular figures um, walking the you know the, the, the tunnels of the main stand before a game. Um, so I really hope it doesn't come to that, and I really hope that Dean does continue to take his place in the stand. And it's sorry, I'm sorry to. Hear, I was really sorry to hear that um, he felt that that was going to be um, that position was going to be untenable. Uh, in the future. Um, I also thought that the podcast was very revelatory. And whilst I never thought it was going to be particularly controversial, it was quite interesting because we did hear a lot of new information. Um, and, and yet you can't, of course, deny that there was an element of misfortune about our downfall. Uh, I don't want to play that because, you know, no one gets relegated solely on bad luck. You know, we were we were the, the, the orchestrators of our own undoing. Um, but the, the interesting snippet, if no one's heard about the, about, um, the potential signing of Adama Traore, um, and not signing off on the deal quick enough. Dean was on holiday in the US. He was negotiating with David when we were here. Um, he didn't sign off. Was it Tony Pulis that was manager um, when we were trying to buy uh, Traore? Um, injured himself in a preseason friendly because we didn't sign off on the deal quick enough. We had personal terms agreed and everything. Broke his collarbone. Wagner didn't want to wait for six weeks. He went to Wolves, you know, and, and is now and is now firmly established uh, in their side. But but then I thought more key was 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 what was said about the players. And the players are getting off scot-free here, really, because Dean, okay, is still around the club. And yeah, okay, there's questions to be asked um, <laughs> of the events of the last couple of years. But he's not responsible, really, for, for what, what goes on once the referee's whistle's blown at the start of 90 minutes. And we said this at the time, too, and a lot of players there started to believe their own hype. And that's mirrored in what Dean says. And I, for one, believe him. Um, I think that, and, and Dean's quite honest about the fact that, that the appointment of Jan was poor. We tried to do things on the cheap. Perhaps we were aware that we'd overspent. And, and, and that was just, that was never going to happen. We either firefighter to try and keep us in the division. And Jan never had the respect of the players who, um, now being guffed up by agents really thought that they were something. Um, and, and so, yes, I think really that we look at Dean, but we should point fingers perhaps if anyone, if anyone at the players first, really, because um, the squad wasn't particularly too different to the one the season before. And then uh, and, and I think egos perhaps got the better of us. And that's, a, that's an aspect that tends to get missed. Um, as in terms of what's said about the sale, well, there's a lot of information put out there. Um, and I'm reluctant to go... Ham on it, given that we've only had 
Dean one side of it, you know, we've only had Dean's picture of it. And whilst he did speak very candidly, um, I would just like to hear more from the club about it, really, because, again, you've had all the transparency from the, 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 the minority shareholder and the former owner. But there's still so much, you know, smoke and mirrors going on around um, around the finances of the club, the greater finances of the club. And I know that people will often say, OK, well, it's a football club. What business is it of, of, of Cameron Pope being Kilroy and Gaz K? You know, it's it, it's 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 not about that. But. It, it just goes to show that, that the communication we had under Dean was so much better, given that he's still communicating better than the club is um, at the moment. And it's a real shame because I feel the people at the very, very top could learn a lot from what's come out, given that we had an update from Mark Devlin that said very, very little. Um, and, and so for me, that was perhaps more intriguing than what was said was the manner in which the club spoke out this week, um, free Mark Devlin, saying square it of nothing really, and the way that Dean spoke out. And so something still is going wrong and something is misfiring. As for the actual deals themselves, well, I think there's people on this podcast far more um, business-like than, than myself that'll be able to pick apart what was said in, in, in finer detail. But that was the thing that stood out for me, the fact that um, we actually had some word and it still wasn't from the club. And it just goes to show the shift off the field, I think, in the time we've had since Dean has left the club as majority shareholder. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to um, kind of linger on it too much, but because I think it's been said. But I think the the big thing that came out for it came out this week for me was was how obvious um, it is that the, the the club and and to a certain extent I don't want to I don't want to kind of pick on them too much because Dean is obviously good at this, but the club came out with a you know with their promised uh, monthly update and. Um, and really, kind of, uh, uh, they're really unable to read the room, I guess, to a certain extent. And Dean, in in you know, it, it, as Cam said, in in quite simple ways, mentioning things like Adama Traore signing is just the kind of thing that people want to hear, you know. And and whether it's irrelevant now, you know, it's it's as irrelevant as the time that Town were going to sign John Terry, you know. It's you know, it's kind of irrelevant to us. But it's what someone wants to hear right now, you know, and, and, and the, the the kind of juicy bits of gossip or information that that fans just want to hear from from the club that, you know, appease quite a lot of fans. And I appreciate that, um, you know, there is the there is the finances and there is there is kind of actually more important issues, but they're the kind of things that make football fans tick to a certain extent. And I think the club could do a lot worse than than either use Dean or um, or, or try and involve Dean in some way in, in, in improving that communication to fans. Um, in terms of kind of what Dean said, and I think I've said this previously, you know, it's to me, it's it, as as Gaz said, it's 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 given us probably the best times that we're going to see at Huddersfield Town. Dean Dean facilitated that. Let's not. Let's not get past that, you know. And and I appreciate that 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 might have been mad, kind of, with him taking money out. But to a certain extent, I I feel that's his prerogative, you know. I, I guess the disappointing thing and something probably that that Phil would have been hammered even more than than Dean has been, but that he said that the money would stay in the club, and and obviously decided against that. I think that probably is the bit that kind of don't stick overly well with me. Um, but I feel like it's it's really sad that, that such a legend, 
you know, that has facilitated something like this feels the way that he now does. Um, from being kind of the passionate bloke that we've we've all seen dancing on that grainy footage, jumping over at fence, celebrating on the pitch to not really feeling like he wants to go to the ground and not really feeling like he's got a connection with his club. You know, it's, it's pretty sad, really. And I think probably to a certain extent, you know, in some in some capacity or another or in some way or another, perhaps the, you know, the club or the fans need to kind of take a step back and, and, and maybe realise what, what Dean has done, um, you know, and, and, and maybe kind of recognise that. I mean, he danced around the finance element and taking out his money. And I think I've said before, at the end of the day, it's his money. You know, whether we like it or not, it's his money. So he's entitled to take it back. You know, his point that he never charged interest is a really good one because the vast majority of owners who put loan notes onto a balance sheet would charge some kind of interest, even if it's nominal. And he hasn't done that. So, you know, whether we like it or not, you know, if he's even at a sensible low interest rate, that's that would have saved the club £2 million a year in the time he's owned it. So, you know, that that's that's not to be sniffed at. Um, that he'd moved the repayment schedules in terms of how long is it, it's going to take for him to get his money back. And he said several times, if I get all my money back, which I thought was quite interesting. He's not entirely convinced he's going to get it all, which I think says a lot. Um, the PPGP, so he, you know, he was very clear he still owns it and he values it at five million quid. Um, whether he's put five million quid in or not, we don't really know, but he values it at five million quid and has said that if he gets his loan repaid, he'll gift that to the club. So once you take into account, and these are his numbers, not mine, that once you take that into account and the interest he didn't charge and the expenses he hasn't done and the other stuff he never put on loan on the loan notes that he just shelled out for, the club has benefited by the, you know, to the tune of 15 million quid. So, you know, taking that on face value, he's put one and a half million quid in a year for 10 years and then he's going to walk away. Now, if it looked like that and we were still in League One, nobody would be complaining. So... I have a bit of sympathy with him. Um, my my biggest issue still is around around the takeover. I said before, our chance for proper serious investment uh, has been and gone. That ship has sailed. We're stuck with what we've got now. He talked about the potential foreign owners wanting to pay uh, put the debt on the balance sheet as a loan and charge interest, but have a proper go at getting prem, uh, promoted back to the Premier League, in which case they could easily repay those debts. But how do we know Phil's not going to do that? How do we know that Phil's not currently... Uh, borrowing them because we haven't seen any accounts that Phil hasn't borrowed the money to buy the club uh, and put that as a loan note against against HTFC from his sporting ventures business. You know, there's a lot of questions around how Phil is funding and running the club that left that remain unanswered. And Dean never really came to the, the, the point of, you know, what was Phil the only show in town beyond these two foreign investors? You know, I don't I don't really understand how a Premier League club, even a struggling Premier League club, had three suitors and no more. Um just it, it all feels a little a little odd. Um he, he was very clear that Phil Court wasn't his mate. He said he'd only ever met him once or twice. Well, to give somebody who you've only met once or twice that what 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 he's presenting as the deal of a lifetime on something you absolutely love. Just there's something there that just makes me question a little bit because Dean's a savvy businessman. You don't get as rich as he is unless you're switched on. So a lot, lots of lots of questions there. But you know, if if what he's saying comes to pass that the club repays debt and he gifts Canal side to the club, then in fairness, he's leaving behind the club in a much better state than than when he took it on. 
think I think something as well that, that that doesn't get mentioned enough is the fact of how of how ill Dean got. You know, um, I, I mean, look, if everything goes out the window when, when that happens, and it took he said on the podcast, didn't it? It took him two years, near enough, uh, eighteen months, two years to get back up to to, to, to normal pace again. Um, and, and yeah, we've we've touched on it, haven't we? That you know, it was far removed from the guy who was obviously so passionate about the club, and and it, it was it, you know, it was a huge hit both him personally, his family, and and and, and Huddersfield Town um, when he went in. But I, th- I think, I think again, yeah. Looking at it, look, if who are we to judge at the end of the day? And you say that he's he's lying there in his hospital bed and he doesn't know what shape he's going to be, or if he's, or you know, you dare say if he's going to be leaving hospital. And so, yeah, I can completely understand, completely understand if he had completely gone back on himself and um and, and just wanted to secure his family's future. Like, and, and 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 no one really could say much about that because who could blame him? Who wouldn't do the same in the situation? And so, again. We can only speculate on the details we've been given, um, and, and and so for me, yeah, I, I think I've, I've taken a while this week to make up my my mind on what was said on the podcast, and 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 yeah, okay, you can you can look with with consternation at, at the situation we're in now and the fact that we've wasted our biggest opportunity, really, um, and and that will always stick with me a little bit. But do I, do I attribute that to Dean? Look, it, was, it wasn't a great, it wasn't a, a great sale of the club. It wasn't the one we'd all wanted. But you know, does it undo the, all the work that he did over the ten years to get us to where we were? Like, it, it certainly doesn't undo that for me. And we've certainly had that. And 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 and, and so I don't know. It's it's never going to be a black and white question, is it? And everyone will have their own opinions. Um, and and some people will, will will pick holes in what has been said. But but for me, look, it doesn't change it now. The fact is, it's I've sort of in a sense. I'm slightly over it now in the, in, in the sense that, okay, we know that this is like the new Huddersfield town that's in the past. Um, and so look, if more details come out, then yeah, it'd be great to great to go over them in more detail. But, but for me now, Dean, Dean made this club what it was. And for a brief period, it'd be with the envy of everyone in the top two divisions. Um, and, and so, and so, you know, it, it's, it's a tricky one. And I, it's a really horrible and sour end to, um, to the story. And I really wholeheartedly hope that he can come back. Um, to the club but yeah again there'll be people who say we've been drinking the Kool-Aid etc um, I don't know I'm t- I'm t- I'm t- I'm t- I know but I'm, t- I'm tired of the situation I, 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 I've just listened to 10 minutes and, and I, I, I wrote so many notes now let's start with the, the, the transfer to, to Phil Hoskinson you've got someone you know saying that due diligence was taken with the ownership then saying he'd already met him twice before uh, events that were organised through Sean Jarvis so there's already a climb down there's already a contra- contradiction in what was told to us two years ago. Now, again, caveat: Dean Hoyle was severely ill, and I'm extremely happy that he's much, you know, he's fighting fit and he's got his health, um, and he can enjoy his wealth. That, that, that's very, very important. There's an assumption that oh, Dean Hoyle, you know, without him, yeah, without him, we probably wouldn't have been in that position. But let's not forget we got him very, very, very lucky. Let's not forget at the start of the 2014-15 season. He had a hissy fit, went on Radio Leeds, threatened to, to basically pull his money out of the club unless the fans got behind him. You know, this is after Mark Robbins had his backroom staff stripped from underneath him. Town fans booing on the opening day, Hoyle going on Radio Leeds, as I've said, uh, saying, um, oh yeah, Radislav Majewski came off in tears because they were booing him. Uh, no, the, the town fans were booing the uh, 4-0 defeat against Bournemouth where Matt Crooks was ended up playing centre-back because Mark Robbins was making a point. You know, there needs to be a, a kind of, a not a eulogising of Dean Hall's tenureship, but a fair and proper critique of it. Now, I am having to play devil's advocate here um, and be that negative bastard because, you know, 
you guys have been very happy with it. But, you know, Dean Hall's always come out and said, well, we nearly signed X, Y, and Z. You know, we had it with Ricky Lambert back in 2009. We had it with, uh, well, several other players. You know, there's also players that we should have bought that, you know, he didn't stump up the money for. James Tarkovsky, Alden, uh, Sean Morrison, both of whom were a hell of a lot better than what we had. So, you know, I think we need to look at this pragmatically. You know, we haven't heard from Dean Hall for a very long time. He hasn't, um, you know, obviously for health reasons, but, you know, going on his, his son's mate's podcast where the hard questions weren't asked, I think is an easy cop-out. Now, I'm, I'm, and again, I am playing bad cop in this because sometimes you have to play bad cop. But, you know, there's a lot of questions that came out of that that I don't think that you can just ignore. Yes, it's disappointing that, that a fan of the club feels um, that he cannot go again. But then again, I don't, I don't think the, the the toxic social media element that he was mentioning was that of, of, of Phil. It was actually the the criticism he's been receiving, which is, for my opinion, and, and quite a lot of, of is is pretty pretty tame compared to what poor Phil has had to, you know, the standard of criticism that Phil got, which was way out of order, bang out of order and, and, and he should have never received that. But I think critiquing somebody's tenure, there's nothing wrong with that at all. And there were so many mistakes that, that, that happened in that tenureship. That's why I said we did get lucky. If you look at that squad that went up, we were extremely fortunate. And I think the key line for me, and, and I know I do obsess about recruitment, and I, I want things to be the best that they can be. Um, he's something that he said about uh, Stuart Webber and David Moss coming in, who um, who came in from Celtic and who I, I'm led to believe was instrumental in bringing in the likes of Zanka, Lerzel and uh, De Quattre to this squad, was saying he wasn't Stuart Webber. That, that's one of the biggest things to take out of that, um, how, how instrumental Stuart Webber was in building the club up to where we were. And I don't think you can underestimate us losing him to Norwich. You know, the whole gardening leaf snake thing that town fans attributed to, to Weber was a bit out of order, in my opinion, because it's, it's, you know, your own professional destiny. And he's certainly proven his worth at, at Norwich, even though, even though they got relegated last season. I think that's, that's one of the biggest things to come out of that was how important Weber was to Dean Oyle and how Dean Oyle and the football club were a bit lost at sea without him and, and, and a lot of decisions that were made were that are poor were, were post-Weber, including the one with Alex Pritchard where um, you know Dean Oyle himself said that he went over budget on and saying it was because uh, David Wagner was obsessed with a, a number 10 and a number 10 like Alex Pritchard. Um, I don't know, there seemed to be some attribution of blame towards Wagner for that decision, but ultimately the chairman has, has the choice to overspend his budget or not, and he chose to take it. So, yeah, I, I, I know some of you might take it all in a little bit more than I would, but playing bad cop, I think you have to take that with a massive pinch of salt because, you know, there are decisions that have been made that have not benefited the squad. Uh, well, the squad, yes, but the club at all. Let's not forget the share situation. They're still not in trust. We still don't know what's happening with them. You know, these are big issues about the future of Huddersfield Town Football Club. And I think that's, the, for me, 
Premier League, you take that away. Yeah, it was enjoyable for throughout six months, but the rest of the time it's fucking shite. You know, what's the future for this little town football club? And, and is it in a better position than it than it should be? No. Is it in a better position that it could be? Definitely not. We've got to look at the future for this little town football club. And, and I think that's, that's all being forgotten because of... And I will give him a hell of a lot of credit for this. Any time that he is faced criticism, he's at least fronted it. But the questions were not tough enough because the platform he was on was not tough enough. It was one way, though, Greg. It's same as the communication we've had from the club. It was one way. The difference is Dean's more adept at it and, and the quality of his output was was better. Um you know, I think the the one you're talking about, where does that leave us as a club? He kept he mentioned on a couple of occasions fans' expectations. Well, I think with or without Dino, well, our expectation was when you've been promoted to the Premier League for two seasons that when you come back down, you're a better club than the one that went up. And I don't, I can't think of anybody who argues we're in a better position. Now the club will argue Canal side puts us in a better position because we didn't have that and we didn't own it. But I think that's some of the problem. He was talking about, I was thinking about this, the, the, his thing about the players becoming Billy Big Bollocks in the second season. And I remember the, there was an article, I think, in the Times of the Independent in the first season where they went to Canal side and Christopher Schindler was standing in the queue for his lunch and next to him was a bloke that was just having a break from playing a game of snooker, having a, com- a two-way conversation with the guy. You know, the second season... Gates went up, nobody was allowed in the building, it became a Premier League venue, and we've made that even worse now. So, yeah, as I said, that second season, I think it, it broke the club. Uh, I really do. Um, and, and as far as expectations goes, my expectations is we were going to be competitive, you know, certainly the top half of the league towards the playoffs. That that would be my expectation after two seasons of the Premier League. And we're a, we're a million miles away from that. But, you know, Dean's more adept at one-way communication and making sure that, that what he puts out is in a format that people want to hear. You've done well to pick some some good salient points out of that, Greg. So I'll let, I'll let one or two of the others have a good. Sorry, Carl, I just want to make a very quick point, and you just made it there with, with the regards of coming down, was that I, I think also fans, fans' expectations are overestimated. There will be a group of fans who, and, you know, I, I can picture what they're going to post, and it'll be on a championship, that, that banter page. You know, where they expect X, Y, and Z. But I think the majority of fans, and I'm, like, I don't want to speak for you all, we, we, our, our assumption was we're going to the Premier League for a year or two, come back a better club. And then the second point, something Laurent de Poitre said, and it's in regards to that canal side element, was I think players come into a football club that don't get the football club. And this is perhaps what Dean Oyle was um, alluding to. De Poitre said in an interview after he left, which would have been um, last year, he said that he, he found it a bit embarrassing that you know players couldn't have their own privacy and they were after sharing it with any Tom Dick and Harriet who's playing Crown Green Bowls and the thing. You know, it, it seemed to be as you said it right. We went from being a community club, an open club. I've certainly been down there at the canal side, going for some grub and seeing Naki Wells having some cheese and beans on toast after he's been training. Um, players didn't want that. Um, so it's that trying to get that balance right between being that community club that we were, and we still are, by the way, even though it's been lost somewhat, and Cam's the biggest advocate of that, and being a professional outfit. 
and now it, you know you go past the the gates as I uh, the Mark Devlin gates as they shall be forever known with his security shed. I think a lot of fans now feel like, um, well, you know, we could we could take a little bit more privacy, but it would be nice to be going down there having a couple of pints on a on a Sunday afternoon. Sorry, Cam. No, no, I think I think on the back of that, I think I think there's some good points again raised because yeah, you look at Canal side and it was it was never going to last in the form that it was, and it was great. I remember going down before the second leg of the playoffs um, away at Wednesday before we got the coach and having a fight down there. It was great, like the nervous tension there, and um, and they were of course they welcomed fans who couldn't go to the game that night, couldn't they? But that was never going to exist in the way that it was, and if we wanted to develop, we couldn't have a we couldn't have a culture where the snooker players were lining up next to the club captain. Um, but I can see why everyone's frustration with it because I looking at it. Yeah, I think that okay, it needs to be one or the other, and I'm siding towards the other. Um, but I can see everyone, everyone's um, everyone's grief at, it at the moment, given that well, really, what do we have to show for it? We've lost a massive community, uh, uh, a massive community asset, uh, and it's not it's not like we're overperforming on the pitch to 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 balance that out. And so, yeah, it would have quite been nice to hold on to that if all we were going to be is a bottom half championship club. Um, and, and so, yeah, no, I, I agree with that. But for me, I think the way forward, of course, is if we're going to grow, is that we need to have a private facility for um, the training players. And yeah, it would have been much nicer if it looked like the initial plans, um, but it's not going to. And like, hey, we've got a cry chamber there, so we're all sorted out. But I mean, it's going to be, it's going to, it's going to be something for the club and not for the fans. That much is clear. And that harks back to what we were talking about um, on last episode when Ibala said what can be done you know on 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 game day and, and that's what's going to have to stand in for what we've lost with canal side now because the canal side is is, is is long gone it's not going to be you're not going to be going back down there for a pint before the game and um, that's what needs to be done around it okay that that's 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 the way to balance that out surely that's open there um for the club but actually we've just said as well um i think it was um i think it was gaza said about um, managing expectations and that was the thing that i had the most difficulty with in, in dean's interview um Look, you know, I've I've obviously got massive respect for him, and 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 I appreciate the okay. It's one side of communication, and what else did we expect when it was one of his son's mates' um, podcasts? Um, you know, from um, from 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 university or from school. Um, and it'd be much interesting to hear it. More interesting to hear it on a on a proper um, you know, a fan debate. I don't think that'll happen now. And Dean doesn't have any accountability. He'll have to do that now. He's obviously done that honestly off his own back, and for that I, I give him credit. Um, but if we're looking at it. If, if, if we're going to look at it in, in, in terms of fans' expectations, I, I don't think that fans' expectations are, uh, are you know, unreasonable. I think we expected to be better than we are now. Okay, some people who came on for the Premier League bandwagon, yeah, okay, they might have expected too much. But I think the vast majority of town fans didn't, I don't think they were over expecting, you know, to be top half of this league now. I really don't think it's too much to ask for to think that we'd be in with a sniff of promotion and not fighting against relegation for a second year. So in response to the fact that, expectations are too high I, I don't know I think that was a little bit of a scapegoat to be honest because I think any fan of any club would be hard pushed to say that this has been an okay response to two years in the Premier League and all the money that's come into the club so that 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 was the bit that didn't wash with me personally um and yeah look I, I, I don't want to comment on the on, on the abuse that's been been dished out because I've seen it to to fill um and there's always people who take it too far um, so, so you know, we don't know what else has been said. Some of it might not even be public, um, and so I can't speak for that. But what I will speak, yeah, I think that the fact that that, that fans are asking, expecting too much, I don't think that's true at all. To be quite honest, I think that it, we would have at least expected to mount a serious challenge in the two years that we've been back in this division, and we haven't. So, um, and so, yeah, look, there's, there, there are holes to be there are holes to be prodded in it. Yeah, I just want to. 
kind of go back to what you were saying, Greg. I think, I think some some very fair points, and and you know, it 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 isn't always easy the easiest position to take the kind of bad cop role. But I think probably it needs splitting. It it can be split into two parts. I think genuinely there can be an appreciation for what um, Dean did and what he achieved. Um, I think on the whole he had the club's intention at heart. You know, he he did invest the money in where, as we saw previously before that, with kind of Ken Davy etc., the, the the money wasn't being put in, the club was kind of surviving. Um, and, and, and yes, there was times that he, he threatened to pull out and had a bit of a hissy fit and, and wanted people to kind of love him. Um, but I think we can just acknowledge that he did bring the good times. And, and I think he quite quite cleverly um, alluded to kind of Dave Whelan and, and Jack Walker in, in his interview um, and sort of said, you know, look at them versus versus what there is now. And and I guess neither neither Wigan nor, nor Blackburn are, are thriving um, and probably had their best times with, with those fellas in charge and, and, and we did. And I guess probably posing a little bit of a question back to you, Greg, you know, what what do we what do we what do we want as fans from a chairman? You know, what is what is that um, kind of ideal chairman? You know, I, I think I think for Dean, the the, the second part of, of what I saw with Dean was he, you know, he's quite obviously a savvy bloke, a savvy businessman, and he knows when and how to communicate with the fans and appease them when he needs to. Um, but I think you're probably right that that there can be a critique of him, and that you know there can be. There can be the um, kind of difficult questions asked of him, but as Cam said, I don't think I don't think now we're ever going to get that. So I guess to a certain extent, did we get the the best from a bloke that you know, as a chairman, that that we'll probably ever have? Yeah, it is a very good question, and it's again, and you're right, I'm playing bad cop because overall, I think he was a massive positive influence on this football club. You say what kind of chairman I would like, and probably to you guys as well, but I want the Dean that was on it, Dean. The Dean Oil that was involved, because when we were good, we were always good when Dean was at the fore, well, at the forefront of what everything that we did. The years when he was properly interested, we were amazing. Let's not forget that the whole Wagner revolution thing came out of that re- igniting of his love of Huddersfield Town and to do something a bit different but you know on the flip side let's not forget that he took a couple of years back uh, off after that Radio Leeds interview and, and effectively let Nigel Clibbons run the club and that was probably one of the worst periods to be a Huddersfield Town fan again you this is this is the whole thing though I, it, when you're looking back at a is it 13 year maybe even 14 year you know um, it's a long time that he's been the chairman of the football club overall it'll be about 12 years I think um, for, from that season when he took over where you know town was struggling to where we ended up being when the, the transfer to Phil Hodgson came it, it, you know overall a, a massive success um, so you have to base it on the entire tenureship, but you know, it, it was frustrating listening to the, some of the points there because 
Gaz said it perfectly. It was one way communication. It was convenient. And the questions, and I mean, uh, me and Ian are very, very much on the on the same page as this. The academy is probably one of the worst decisions ever made. Is uh, the disbanding of that academy, which is Dino's decision, is the worst decision that has been made at this football club. Because we have just got to Premier League, we were at the height of our powers. And it also showed that he's always convenient with the truth. He said it cost 1.2 million. It did cost 1.2 million to run. But, you know, the money from sponsorship and the money from the FA that covered it um, meant that loss was probably more around 400 to 500,000 pounds a year. And he mentioned those um, kind of sad losers who look into the finances afterwards saying, oh, they don't know the entire truth. But I looked into the finances after that decision was made and there were payments from the FA for it. So, you know, you've got to take everything with a massive pinch of salt. Um, but we won't, like like he did make that point about Jack Walker, etc. Um, Yeah, it, you know, you won't probably see another chairman like him. Um, and I'm playing devil's advocate. I, I, I can't see one for a generation unless uh, another town fan secretly really, really minted. Well, I doubt that because it's town fans, isn't it? Um, we're too grumpy, too miserable and, and, and too uh, kind of precious to invest our money into anything bar uh, beer and football. Um, but I also, on the flip side of that, saying the assumption that any foreign owner would be like the Venkies or like the, the charlatans who destroyed Wigan Athletic, you know, that that's a generic assumption. And, you know, we can never know who the foreign owners were, what the payment structure was going to be. And, and I'm not sure how a, a selling party can know how somebody's exactly going to pay for the club at what interest rate, you know, take all of that with a pinch of salt as well. And, um, you know, we could, it's just, it's all about the future of the football club for me. And that's all we should ever be worried about. Is Huddersfield Town in 2021 better off than it was in 2012? It really isn't. And that's, I think, the biggest thing we can take from the entirety of that tenureship. And yes, there's an illness. Yes, there's all COVID. There's all these caveats in it. For me, it should have been so different. It could have been so different. And I think, Gaz, you've said a lot of wise things today. You know, that wise older head of you sitting in your chair waiting for your COVID vaccine. Um, no, but what you said, what you said today about um, overall is, is right. And I think sitting back, I think we've got to appreciate what's happened, but also be disappointed that it could have been so much better and maybe getting relegated in that first season. And uh, Debo was on last week saying, should we get relegated to League One? And we were just like, Fuck no, no, it's bad for the club. But in hindsight, if we got relegated after the first season, we would have had a, a much better group of players. I don't, David Wagner would have left, if he had left, in a much better way. And we would have been much better set up, I think, with the squad that we had to have another go again. But everything that happened in that second season broke the football club. And, and it, you know, it's going to be, look at Sheffield United this season, you know. Chris Wilder is an amazing manager and they have some fantastic players there. They've had a lot of injuries this season, but, you know, you could see how hard they had to work last season to be where they were. And I think that's broke them as well. The Premier League is, is a fucking difficult place. 
people don't realise that it's meant, not only is it physically, but it's mentally de- uh, it's degrading to a lot of people how hard you have to work to be at that level. And I think that's the biggest lesson that we, we can take from it. If Huddersfield Town are ever, ever to be in that position again, they've got to have the, um, the tools to actually perform at that level. And I don't think we ever had those tools. And I include the training ground. I, I include uh, the fitness, the backroom staff. I think there's a lot much more that goes into a Premier League club than any football fan of a football league side like us will ever understand. So yeah, Tristan, there's a very good question, by the way. And I could ramble on for a lot longer. But yeah, I would like Dean Hoyle. The chairman I want is Dean Hoyle when he's fully engaged. Um, and people like that are very hard to come from. Very hard no, to I, find. Do you know I was effective, Greg? Because he set the standards. And I keep going on about standards at our football club. And that was the difference. When Dean was there and Dean was leading, Dean set the standards. And if you didn't meet his standards, you were in a world of trouble. And that, and that for me, is the difference between then and now. No, spot on. Um, well, we could we could critique that for. I've got so many. You know, that's, that's the thing when you listen to something like that, you, you just you know things down. And think oh, I'd love to know this. I'd love to know this. And again, also that openness as well. You know, we said it at the start. For someone to come out and say what he did and and do so much more than the current chairman of the football club and the CEO, it says a lot about the man. Um, shame. Shame, shame, that's all we can say. Anyway, um, Chef, Chef Wednesday this week is, is much more important than looking back at the past because we must, must look to the future. So hopefully Huddersfield Town can take those three points. Um, we stopped doing proper predictions here, gents, but um, Tristan and, and, and Gaz, um, if, if you were a betting man, what would you want to see this week from Huddersfield Town? What, what result are you two after? What do you think? Well, I'm after, I'm after three points. I'm just oh, no, you are. You still want your seven out of nine. I do, yeah. I'm just trying to work out the last time. So, Wednesday, lost to Reading, lost to Rotherham. This is going backwards. Lost to Luton, lost to Brentford, lost to Birmingham, lost to Stoke, beat Wickham. So, the last time they won was the 9th of February. So, they're on a pretty piss-poor run. And in that, they've lost to Birmingham, they've lost to Luton, and they've lost to Rotherham. So, they've lost to three or four teams in and around us. So, I think... Anything less than a than a win, I'm going to be disappointed. I can't believe I'm saying I can't believe I'm uttering these words, but anything less than a win, I'm going to be disappointed. I think. Yeah, naturally, you know, we we need to win, and 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 I think Gaz and I were uh, discussing it just before before we started. If we win this, then you know, I think we're probably uh, you know as as near as safe. Um, I think just the, probably just to add a caveat to that, as long as we don't lose ground on them. So I guess, you know, at the absolute worst, I'm, I'm taking a draw so that we don't lose ground to them. Um, you know, losing is, is, is kind of unthinkable to a certain extent because it just opens that back, open that door back up um, when we've won, you know, this week. And, and I guess the, I'm saying that having watched us absolutely annihilate Swansea and then turn out, you know, a, a turgid performance in the in the week after that. I, I do expect us to be playing against a Wednesday, Wednesday side that's that's going to be more Cardiff 
physical, you know, um, up and at you than what we saw this week with QPR, who obviously, uh, as we said before, probably uh, are on the beach with the flip-flops on. That's perfectly put. Must not lose. I think that's the way that we have to see it. If Mr Pope is right, we're only four or five points away from being able to join those other clubs on the beach themselves, even though we don't want to do that. We still want to top our finish. It is manageable. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time and insight this Sunday morning. I'm sure you've got better things to go and do. Um, Cam Pope's gone to, to work. He's commentating on some game if you're betting on it on Bet365. So if you've heard his dulcet tones, I hope you enjoyed them. Um, lively debate as always. Let us know what you think. You know where to get us on the old social media. Don't be toxic though. You can critique us. Fair criticism allowed, but don't be toxic. Um, Tristan Gas, thank you very much for your time. Cam as well. Um, we shall be back next week and hopefully we'll be back sitting on that metaphorical beach awaiting our pub beer garden in a few weeks time with our tinnies in the fridge waiting to get outside as spring has finally started to spring itself out with the snowdrops and daffodils out I think the summer is going to be much better than we expect it to be and hopefully it will be for Town too thank you very much for listening goodbye 